to the next episode of the SBC Gaming Podcast. This is part two of our Slaminger interview, and I uh, hope you enjoy. So, what are your favorite games of all time? Maybe three if you had to pick them. Or maybe what genre you like the best in particular. I think we did talk about that a little bit earlier. Yeah, I think adventure and horror are probably two favorite genres. But if I had to pick three games, I'm probably going to say from Sega Genesis, it would be Sonic, where they released the Black Knuckles cartridge that you could connect the other Sonic games on. Sonic and Knuckles, yeah. Yeah, that would be my one of them for sure. Shenmue from Dreamcast would be my second. I'm going to go with the first Zelda game from S. Oh, those are good choices. Um, I'm also a big fan of Sonic of Sonic the Hedgehog, if I'm going to pick my three. I would say Sonic 3 and Knuckles, so I have to have Sonic 3 locked yeah. onto Sonic and Knuckles because that's the proper game. That's how it's meant to be played. Yeah, it's a really good game. Yeah. But what are your other two? Um, Aladdin is, uh, well, let me think of another one on here. Uh, Super Mario World is another one, a uh, favorite of mine. I'll go back to that and play that a whole bunch. And Kirby Superstar. Not bad. If I had to add a fourth to that list, actually, I'm going to say this because it actually, I only played it in the last year or so, and it's been out for a really long time. But over here in North America, we got Super Mario 2. Over in Japan, they got Doki Doki Panic. Mm-hmm. And I actually like Doki Doki more than I like Super Mario. I would have rather had the Lost Levels game that we were supposed to get as Mario 2 and then had Doki Doki as its own game. You see, I actually disagree. I think that Super Mario Bros. 2, though, it had to be it's it had to be kind of like not released here because I think that could have killed Super Mario before it really got started, because it really is a difficult game. It really it is, is pretty enough, unforgiving. Like, for me personally, I almost didn't play Super Mario 3 because of Super Mario 2, because I had played it on my Game Boy, and I had played it on my NES for the first one with Duck Hunt, and then I played Mario 2, and it was so far out of left field that I just didn't really like it then. It grew on me over time, but when I first played it, I really didn't like it. I get it. I I did try Doki Doki Panic by itself, but uh, oh, you know what? I got something for you for this. There is actually a video that goes on to, you know, that doesn't talk about Doki Doki Panic because that's been talked over to death. You know, you know, you know the history of it. Yeah, it was developed for this uh, Japanese uh, special uh, community um, or right. uh, What's the word I'm looking for? The word I'm looking for is. Event. Event, yeah. Yeah, or convention. Or something like that. It's called... Yeah. Which is called Yumi Kojo. Which uh, stands for Dream Factory. And they... This video doesn't go into Doki Doki Panic, but actually goes into Yumi Kojo. Explains the design choices for all those characters. You know... Uh, the funny it, thing about that is that some of those characters, even though like they got turned into Mario 2... Some of those characters in Mario 2 became really iconic in the series and still hang around to this day. They were never even supposed to be part of the Mario universe. Of course. You know, uh, I can name a couple of them. Uh, Sniffets, uh, Shy Guy's the biggest. Yeah, Shy Guy for sure. Uh, And who else was there? Um, Trying to think of that. Birdo. 
Birdo is a big one. Uh, On the Mario subject, I didn't really... Mario Odyssey didn't really hold my attention that great. The first few worlds, I was okay, but then I got bored. Really? I love Mario Odyssey. I was just exploring the heck out of that. It was really fun at first, but after like a few hours in, I was just bored after a while. It was kind of the same thing over and over again with just a different backdrop. It's basically every Mario game, I guess, but... <laughs> hey, it's still, you know... the. I prefer the older Mario is basically what I'm saying. Like, I like Game Boy Advance Mario. I like Super Nintendo and N64 Mario more than I like modern day. Well, so you play the Game Boy Advance version of Super Mario Brothers 2? Yeah, I'd play that. <laughs> yeah, which is just basically the Super SNES, a port of the SNES All-Stars version, but with uh, added in voiceovers. Speaking of Game Boy Advance, I actually have the Mario game. I have the uh, the card reader for the GBA and a couple of the cards that unlock levels. Yeah, there there's a whole bunch of them. I think that are Japan exclusive too. I mean, I obviously have access to all of the levels, and but I, I try to get them that the actual card, as opposed to just having a file. Yeah, you know what's funny? They never made use of the cape anymore. Yeah, I don't like that. The cape was one of my favorite things about Super Mario World. The cape yeah. and Yoshi. Yeah, and, and you could argue that you also had the cape as well in Super Mario World 2. Because you to did. Degree, you did yeah. Yeah. Whoever had the idea to bring Yoshi into the game was a G. Well, they wanted Yoshi in the game back in Super Mario Brothers 1. You know, they, they, yeah, they had... Yeah, there's no way to do that on NES. Yeah. Yeah, because it was just it was just too it was too much at that time. But um, yeah, yeah Yoshi, Yoshi's one of my favorite. Yoshi's like you know one of my favorite Mar uh, characters on there. <laughs> I think Fun Toad is probably my favorite of all. Toad's yeah. a very underrated character, but he does so much for Mario and the series, and he's underrated. I yeah, I agree. Well, I mean, are we referring to a singular Toad? Or are we talking about Toads in general? Toad in general, yeah, just general Toad. Yeah, because there's only, like, a couple that are super unique. Uh, you know, Toadette, Toadsworth. Every game. Yeah, but there, there's a few that are uh, unique and some that aren't. Uh, I mean, I like Super Mario Sunshine for that exact reason, right? From the very time that you land in the game, you're surrounded by different Toads. Yeah, and also the only fully voiced Mario game, I think. I'm, I'm one of the only people that feels this way, I'm sure, but I really like Super Mario Sunshine. Probably one of my favorite games. And I actually own a game. I've been playing it on the Mario All-Star, uh, the 3D All-Stars, actually. It's fun. It, it's, it looks great. Like, for a game, you know, like, as, like the sheer difference between Mario Super 64 and, and Sunshine, you know, it's like, there's such play. a graphical leap. My problem with Switch isn't actually the Switch. My problem with Switch is Nintendo. I really don't like Nintendo. Yeah, well, they, they want to make money. Yeah, but the way they go about it is really dirty and cutthroat. I haven't liked Nintendo since I was a child. I, I mean, like some of their games, don't get me wrong, but I don't like them as a company. And, and really, I think it's just because of how they, how they are. Um, and, yeah, and I, I mean, think right it's a the mess they've been doing it, though. Like, 
the original Nintendo, they had these two-year exclusivity deals where if you wanted to put a game on NES, you couldn't release a game with any other system for two years. So basically, they were NES-only games. And then you only could buy cartridges from Nintendo. You could only buy lockout chips from Nintendo, and they were really high in price. So they, right from the very start, they were kind of just digging their claws in and getting everything they could out of people. And So I've always felt like they don't care about games, they care about well, here's the other thing, too, though. Again, they, they came out during the big video game crash of 84. And right. I think that that was more them learning their lessons because... Yeah, exactly. They originally actually wanted to partner with uh, Atari, have Atari release the NES. Um, and Atari said no. Which is funny because they did end up partnering with Atari technically. How so? Uh, Tengen. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that one. But, you know, the, the the changes that Nintendo made at that time worked for them, I think. You know, right, and yeah, they were kind of needed. Um, but I just didn't like the exclusivity deal. Like, locking a developer into just your platform is a really shady way to do things. And it's a practice that they never stopped doing. Like, you move forward, right? They had Sony make the uh, sound chip for the Super Nintendo line. And then Sega releases the Sega CD. Nintendo goes, we want a, a CD for our Super Nintendo. So Sony makes this. I'm not going to go through the whole story, but uh, basically it, it didn't end up happening. They burned Sony at the last minute. And the CEO of Sony was so mad that instead of canceling the project, mm -hmm. he moved it over to Sony Entertainment so we won't have to hear about it anymore. And they released the PlayStation 1, which ultimately crushed Nintendo in sales. And it was because of Nintendo's own arrogance and greed that Sony came into the market, and now Sony just mops the floor with the most. I think, yeah, and and that is the case on there because, uh, you know, they they did it out of spite. Like they they released the PlayStation the way it was out of spite, really, exactly. from Nintendo because they they were originally just gonna go and like just let it die and get out of video games out of, uh, out of that, but they were so mad at Nintendo uh, <laughs> that they decided to go and release it. Uh, which, exactly which honestly though if you look back at it it's probably a good idea you know thankfully that happened uh the snes cd from what i understand from based on you know the fact that they actually found some models now uh wasn't yeah, all that great actually i think that the sega cd was actually technically better it was and the uh the snes cd is basically the general idea behind the msu1 emulator the, the ability to use CD audio and CD things inside of a SNES game. It's the same general concept. Uh -huh. Yeah, because like some of the SNES games that were going to be released on the CD were eventually switched over to cartridges, but like one of them was like what? Um, Secret of Mana? Wasn't that one that was going to be it, I think? I don't know. Um, I do think we probably should move on, though. So, I think we'll go ahead and move on to, um, let's do that. Yeah. Let's, let's move on to some, a couple other questions there. <laughs> uh, Tornado has a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, that's but, fine. I don't mind. Yeah, but we'll go through some of these. So, um, are you still going to be releasing Retro Arena for the 351V or is 1.2 the final release? I will be releasing updates, which can be downloaded over the air or drag and dropped onto the root 
via WinSCP, yes. I'm probably not going to release another actual image because there's no need to do that. Everything's already up to date. But we'll update things like RetroArch, add new poems, new emulators from time to time. And uh, regarding Sega, have you have you read or seen Console Wars? If not, go check it out ASAP. Yeah, I've seen Console Wars. Yeah, um, I watched. It is good. I know what he's talking about. What was the one that was the that was the they had a Netflix documentary series? Was that the one I was thinking of? Uh, I'm pretty sure I watched Console Wars on YouTube. But... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There was a there was a there was a documentary on like some of the old video games on on uh, on Netflix. I think it was called The Games That Made Us. Or something similar to that oh, effect. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, that one was fascinating, and they actually had, uh, you know, Cl uh, well, I think the the head of Sega of America at the time, Kalinsky, of there. Or, or am I <laughs> thinking of the wrong it, one? Actually, I'm gonna let people in on a secret as to why I'm able to do so much work with Sega consoles, whether it's actual consoles or whether it's the emulators. It's because some friends who obviously don't want to be named used to work for Sega, and so I know people that have actual development kits like the Sophia, which is the Saturn development computer and things like that, and I have access to this hardware. Mm. So I have the ability to get in there and see things that most people just can't. Uh, now, you just had a couple of those old uh, Sega, what was it, like, they had a Mega PC, I think it was called, or they had, like, a couple of PCs that ran, you know, that also could run Sega Genesis games, you know, had the actual hardware in them. Yeah, the Sega Saturn has an actual developer PC that developers had, and it's meant to run Saturn games, but also let you, you know, develop them and test them as you go, kind of thing. Yeah, um, they, I think Sony actually. Sony has them too. Yeah, there's a, the PS One has a really big fat box that's a computer, but it's also a PlayStation One in the computer. That's their development kit. Yeah, but I'm thinking of maybe I'm thinking of I don't know who I'm thinking of then, but the Net Yarose, I think it was called, was actually just yeah. a regular PS1 that was kind of a developer kit as well, used for homebrew. The actual PSX, like the one with the digital display. Uh, it was just it was a PlayStation One console. Oh, you're talking like the. Like how for PS2 and PS3, how they have like DeX firmware and DeX consoles, which are dev consoles, and then they have CEX, which would be consumer consoles, and they're the same yes. thing, just what's on them is different. Right, yeah, yeah. Th th this was like a consumer dev kit. My PS3 is actually a dev console. I have a, I have the original release from 2006, which is the one with Linux. A01. Well, yeah, I can run Linux, but also it has the actual PS2 hardware inside the PS3. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yep, the original ones, you know, where you could actually still play pretty much all the PS2 games. Yep, those ones. Yeah, that, that I hated Sony for uh, dropping that. Because the PS2 had a huge library. The problem is that it was really problematic. Like, the first couple batches of PS3s were very, very prone to work failures because of the fact that there's so much crap crammed into that little console. It's not even a little console, it's a big, it's a heavy console, but there's so much crammed into it that everything just overheats. There's no proper airflow, there's nowhere for the heat to escape, and so it just warps things. 
Mm -hmm. Basically, the only way I can play my PlayStation 3 and know that it's safe is after I I just take the top off. Like, literally, so there's nothing to have to eat. <laughs> uh, it's like the old Xbox 360 with the overheating. I had one. <laughs> I, have, um, I have a 360 Elite model with the 120 gig hard drive. Mm -hmm. But it's got the executor chip in it, so it's hard modded. Ah. I think the only console I ever modded was the original Xbox. I used, uh, we spliced together a USB, uh, you know. It's like... funny you should mention that. I have a mod chip for my Xbox I haven't put in yet called the Chameleon for the OG Xbox. Uh, what we did with ours is we did the software mod, which is, you know, again, we cut up like the, the quick disconnect. Uh, we, we spliced that in with a USB type A uh, adapter. And then that's how I did my first mod too. I had yeah. a broken controller and I cut the cable in half and then I wired a USB port to it and plugged it into the memory cards. Yeah, and then you then you would have to run like a game that could execute the game, the code which was Mech Assault for I think for us. Oh, I didn't actually have to do that. I was able to literally just plug it in. It, it um when I connected it to my like the, I connected the memory card to slot two. Mm -hmm. And it connected a USB drive to it, and then when I went to go load the file on the memory card, it just automatically installed some crap and booted back oh. up to the custom dash. Yeah, we had to use Mech Assault, if I recall. That was a fun. That was still fun though, because <laughs> that's when we had XBMC when it was still Xbox Media Center, not Cody. Right. Yeah, I remember that. I actually have Siphon Filter for Xbox that I was intending to use to do the mod. I just didn't end up needing. It. Siphon Filter was released for Xbox. Yep. Wow. I remember that on PlayStation 1. I think I got the game name right. I should probably double-check that source of information. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure Siphon Filter. I'm pretty sure that that one was for PlayStation. No, I mean, I see it on Xbox One, but I'm trying to remember if it was on original Xbox. You know, I think it was just on PlayStation. What game am I thinking of? Mm, Splinter Cell? That's it. That's it, for sure. Yep. yep, good old Tom Clancy games. That's the game you need to mod. Or one of them. There's a few you can use. I need to play that, and I also want to go play uh, the Prince of Persia Sand is, Sands of Time. I know they're making I a remake have of that. that on, I have the original of it. I have... Um, a strange collection of games actually because i get them from the weirdest places like i'll just i'll happen to walk into like a thrift shop just to look around and there'll be two or three gamecube games sitting on the shelf for like a dollar a piece so i'll just buy them <laughs> but i got but, mortal Kombat like that i got prince of persia like that i got uh, a couple football games like that yeah boy i i also had fond memories of mortal Kombat on the original genesis <laughs> My a Genesis B A A A B B A, if I think right. <laughs> Something like. Oh wait, um, my favorite move in the original Mortal Genesis was probably just back back forward A, which the Scorpion, which would just shoot. Get up. over here! <laughs> I would always do that, and then just duck an uppercut right after. Oh yeah, uh, I <laughs> I I liked uh, Sub Zero. Uh, and of course, you know. I used to have, like, I actually had one of those guidebooks that had it for, like, how to do all the combos and fatalities for all the versions of Mortal Kombat. 
and there's yeah, like had printing too, errors in that too but um we used the, to love mortal Kombat in elementary school we'd stand at the arcade at the we had a laundromat near our house right near the school and it was the only it was the only game in the laundromat and we would go there at lunch there'd <laughs> be a line of like 15 kids lined up to play mortal Kombat in the laundromat <laughs> that wouldn't surprise me because i mean for me my favorite arcade games were like the Teenage Ninja Turtles and the Simpsons beat 'em up games um, from Konami. Oh yeah, the Simpsons game was great. Some of the Turtles actually, but I think that I think that for arcade games, I probably liked the Simpsons more. And then I really enjoyed the first couple of Ninja Turtles games on the net. So yeah, I, for me, it's the arcade versions. Uh, you know, I know there are ports of them for the SNES and Genesis, but. You know the Hyperstone Heist, or uh, what was the other? Oh, one? yeah, that's on Genesis though. But like for the the first couple of games on the NES weren't direct arcade. Ports. Oh no, they're actually like their own their own yeah. games. And I remember owning them as a kid, and I was a huge Ninja Turtles fan, and I also really liked Batman. So being able to have a Ninja Turtles game and have a Batman game were things that I remember really standing out from my childhood and really enjoying. So, so would it blow your mind to know that they did a crossover between Batman and Ninja Turtles recently? Did they? Yeah, yeah. Batman it versus on how Ninja the Turtles is done because I just watched some Ninja Turtles TV show that was brand new and it's I, I don't like it. it. The animation is weird. It's I don't know how to explain it. The the turtles are all different sizes and shapes and like like Raphael's ridiculously skinny and weirdly drawn and then Michelangelo's just big and butch. And, they don't look like the Ninja Turtles. I actually think it gives them, it makes them more unique, you know, because let's just be honest. It, it in the does, original, it just doesn't look like the actual. I mean, but like the original Ninja Turtles, the only way you could tell them apart is if they were, you know, if, uh, if they had their different colored masks on or if they had their weapons. Yeah, but that's part of the entire idea behind it, though, because when you they're ninjas, and when you look at a ninja, you could see 300 ninjas, and they all look the same. Yeah, but they're also mutants and turtles. They're different <laughs> oh, yeah. turtles. I'm just, saying that, I'm just saying they did that on purpose because they were going with the ninja mythology, which is that they all are identical. You can't tell yeah. one ninja from the other. True. So, um, I guess let's move on. I guess we should probably move on to another question on there, so... <laughs> Uh, yeah, let's do it. This tornado, and uh, do you want to give any more time for any more questions, or? Yeah, we can keep going. Yeah. So, if you guys still want to go and ask some questions, you can go ahead. Um, he said, but tornado asks your top your top games are adventure games. What are your thoughts on modern adventure games? It seems like the new ones right now are much more simplistic, and the days of point and click adventure titles with tons of head scratching puzzles are gone. The popular titles right now are the Telltale games and maybe Life is Strange, games which where it's hard, if at all possible, to get stumped. Do you like these games? What about Japanese adventure games like Phoenix Wright and Zero Escape? I don't really like modern adventure games all that much, specifically for a lot of what he said, actually. They're not really challenging anymore. I don't. And I feel that way about a lot of modern video games, actually. Developers don't sit down and think of ways to engage people and ways to get people to really pay attention and really feel connected to the game. They just do whatever they think is going to sell, and that really hurts the, the game's storyline and the, the time put into it. You can tell that it's different, and I don't like that. In terms of Phoenix Wright, I do like Phoenix Wright. 
there's several Phoenix Wright games that are quite good. I haven't played Zero Escape. I Phoenix Wright though, I'm just kind of surprised. I don't think of that as an adventure game. I guess. No, it's it's kind of in a way, but it's it's yeah. still an interesting game for what it is. I mean, if you want to think of it, you want to think of like something on there, like. All right, let, let me. So, do you know what the do you know the genre isekai, right? Yeah. So. Pokemon Mystery Dungeon is an isekai. I'm one of the only people I know who does not like the Pokemon games. Really? It's not just, I used to like them when I was a teenager and when I was growing up, but now as an adult, I just don't want to sit there and run around collecting Pokemon. That's not fun. Yeah, well, they haven't really changed up the formula too, too much. That's what I mean. Yeah, when it was new, it was interesting because it was new and I was a lot younger. But now that I've known what it is for 25 years it's not really that interesting anymore yeah i think they kind of might maybe peaked at black and white with the story at least i mean i like my 2ds slash 3ds they were interesting it's just that it wasn't anything new if something is the same thing over and over it generally doesn't keep my attention the 10th time or 20th time yeah well you know the nintendo's very good at milking franchises look at look at mario i'm still mad at them about the switch like, the Wii U flopped, even though it's... That, that's an interesting debate, actually. I really like the Wii U. I don't think that that console deserved to fail. I think that Nintendo screwed themselves and caused it to fail. Because the Wii U has a built-in GameCube. It came with the Wii. When they got the virtual Wii ported over, the GameCube came with it. And they just chose not to use it for no reason at all. So... They could have let you have GameCube, Wii, and Wii U all in one console natively yeah. and just didn't want to do it. And then on top of that, it can run Nintendo 64 and all of their older systems just fine too. Yep. So Nintendo had the ability to give customers an all-in-one console that could run every Nintendo system ever made from one console. They could have released all those games from the store mm. and made a killing, and instead they did nothing. Well, that, that's, not a, that's not altogether true. I mean, they did something, but it was like a no, nowhere uh, near what they could have. What I'm saying is that they couldn't run all all Nintendo console games because look at uh, look at uh, Virtual Boy. I mean, yeah, we have Virtual Boy emulators, but it wouldn't be the same. Well, yeah, but I mean, I was more referring to like actual like Nintendo home consoles. The Virtual Boy oh, yeah. is kind of some like, weird experiment. Yeah, yeah, I never owned but, like, one. On a Wii U, you can play Famicom, you can play NES, and you can play Super Nintendo, you can play N64, GameCube, Wii, Wii U. And they should have used that to their advantage and, and just let you pay a few dollars to download games you wanted for any system. And that's what they're kind of doing now with the Switch. With the uh, Switch, when you have the Switch online, they allow you to go and play like old NES and SNES uh, titles, but only curated yeah, can... ones because there's license licensing issues. Yeah, when you have a Nintendo monthly subscription, they let you download a bunch of packs for like Super Nintendo and Nintendo. Yeah, I, I have. I, had, I used to have that. I got rid of my Nintendo subscription because I never used it. Yeah, like uh, one one game, for example. Um, mm -hmm. let, let me let me throw you. Uh, you know what's interesting is uh, Sega though. Sega with their you know embracing the ROMs because um, you could play you could extract the ROMs from say the uh, Sega Steam uh, the Sega. Uh, Mega Sega collection. I don't know what the Genesis collection. 
Yeah, Steam. I know what you mean. Well, well the yeah. thing is, like, with when it comes to Sega and their games, when you talk about a Mega Drive game, for example, if you were to take the cartridge, open it, take the EEPROM chip out, and dump that chip onto your PC, you're going to get a binary file. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty much exactly what we have right now. Yep, that's why most of them are called bins. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's the same basic thing. Sega, at that early point, there was no kind of protection. It was just the raw file because nobody had the ability to get that raw file off the cartridge easily anyway. Well, until Sega also offered up their own uh, hardware, you know, that, <coughs> that mixed with the PC. Um, oh, and you know what? I got a question for you. So, what's the first emulator you ever used? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I want to say Bleem. Ooh. Ooh, that's a that's a classic. I actually knew someone who had a copy of Bleem. I remember having Bleem on my PC back when it first came out because when you, I was saving up my allowance money to buy a PS1. And uh, a buddy of mine had given me a couple of discs that he wasn't playing anymore because he knew I'd be buying the PS1 soon. And so I remember getting Bleem. And um, you had at that point, you had to own the disc to be able to play the mm-hmm. game. So you'd pop, you'd pop the disc into your PC CD-ROM, open Bleem, and plug in the controller or use the keyboard to play the mm-hmm. game. And it actually worked pretty well. I remember playing Twisted Metal 3 on there. Or Twisted Metal 1, I think it was, actually. So did you have, like, a 3D graphics card on your PC? Yeah, it was a voodoo card. Ah, uh, there you go. Um, for me, I remember what it was. Genesis. I don't think I ever played the emulator for that until much later because I've always had a Genesis. It was one of my childhood consoles and I've always had it. Like yeah. Even now, I have so many accessories for my Genesis, it's insane. Yeah, I had Genesis too, you know, and the 32X, but uh, we eventually got rid yeah, of it. Yeah, but do you have all the accessories though? No, I don't. Right now, I've got uh, two of the activator rings that you stand in for fighting games. I've oh. Got, um, I've got a Mega Mouse. I've got a Menacer light gun. Do you have the Sega? Got... Do you have the Sega mo- uh, the Sega modem or then the Sega channel? I have the modem, yeah. Yeah. I also have two of the backpacks that you would plug into the sound adapter for the Sega. So when you get like crash in a game or when you get punched or kicked, you can feel the thud in your back from the speaker. Oh, and did then... did I plug into the uh, to the uh, component cables or did did it use the the uh, the? You have two options. You can either plug it into the headphone jack or you yeah. can run it through the back cable in a, in a multi connection thing. But the same thing actually works on Super Nintendo as well. And, yeah, um, I also have the two uh, Konami Justifier guns that you would use for lethal enforcers. Yeah. Um, what else did I have on there? Like I said, I only had the 32X as far as uh, hardware went. Um, you know, additional hardware was the 32X, which I never <laughs> liked. Um, I remember owning Metalhead for the for the 32. Oh, I, I don't I don't like the 32X. The only game I would ever play from that's probably Sonic Chaotix. Knuckles Chaotix, yeah. Well, I mean, it's the only one really... Uh, Supposedly, the Spider-Man game is pretty good, too. Uh, I've heard it's alright, but I've never actually played it. But, I mean, that's the one that... Those are the ones I'd play. Uh, Maybe maybe Pitfall the Mayan Adventure, I'd play that one. I I own it on PC. I actually found the disc. You don't even need to own those, though. You can just buy the... uh, Whatchamacallit? 
the, the cartridge that you put in there that takes an SD card. Oh, yeah. EverDrive, I think. EverDrive, yeah. Apparently, EverDrive, some of the later, more expensive cartridges can actually play Sega CD and 32X without owning the accessory because they can emulate the add-on. That's cool. That would be pretty neat to go and see. Uh, because, well, I mean, let's just be honest. For some of the Sega add-ons, they're, the add-ons weren't all that great. Like, Sega CD is pretty cool, but most of the games are just, you know... Um, My beef with Sega CD is actually the quality of it. It looks like garbage, the full-motion video. It's so compressed and grainy. And... Yeah, well, like I mean... If you, if you play, like, Space Ace on Daphne, and then you play... Or Laserdisc, I should say, and then you play Space Ace on Sega CD, it looks like garbage. Well, yeah. I mean... All you have to do is just go and see the video for Sonic CD on the Genesis, uh, on Sega CD versus looking at it on, Speaking I don't know, that, on the PC did version. Know, did you know that Space Ace and uh, Dragon Lair 1 and 2 are actually on DS? Really? Well, you know what, yeah, that makes sense. DSiWare release, so if you have like a 2DS or a 3DS, you can get it. That is actually kind of neat. I, I've not played any of those games, though, but that's because I just they never really interested me. But, I mean, I know of them. Don Bluth. You know, Mer- um, I used to watch American ta- uh, An American Tale, Five Will Goes West. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's some interesting Daphne games for what it is. You just have yeah. to keep in mind when you play certain games, they're a product of their time, right? So not yeah. everything holds up well 20, 30 years later. Oh, yeah. Especially well, not Laserdiscs. Well, yeah, because Laserdiscs, you know... My grandfather had a Pioneer Laserdisc and DVD combo player. Laserdisc was the most ridiculous format. It's like playing a vinyl record <laughs> with a movie on it. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, because, I mean, they, they were trying. You know, it's the first point of having a digital format, but it was technically analog. And even then, you know, there was issues. You couldn't store the whole movie on a single side. You had to flip them. That's my thing. I didn't want to flip the games. I mean, flip the discs. So, I don't know. It's just it's just something I didn't like. I didn't like if you have to flip if you have to flip the and you can't watch the video throughout the whole way, then it's not. Then I get lost. It loses. I remember DVDs were like that at one point too, though, because like when I had my first DVD player, I think it was 1998. We got our first DVD player, and we had Armageddon. And Armageddon being like a two and a half hour movie, you had to actually flip the DVD two thirds of the way through. Ooh, no, 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 no. The I, I wouldn't want that. Um, you know, I'm not saying that. You know, I expect to go and play a a four hour movie. Well, you can now, but yeah, but like I'm not expecting to play a four hour movie on a single disc. But I'd still want that at that point in time. I remember my first DVD player was a Toshiba. It was actually a really nice DVD player, to be honest. I remember the first DVD player cost like six hundred dollars. It was ridiculous. Yeah. My second DVD player was my PS2. <laughs> yeah, mine too. Actually, I still have my PS2s. I have a slim and a fat one. I think that's what really helped the DVD format take off was the PS2 having it built in. Unfortunately, having, I mean, VCDs were a pretty decent format before uh, DVD. Oh, I I, I had I would some, rather I had some... use a VCD than a VHS. I had someone on there. I think I had a a, a copy of the Phantom Menace on, <laughs> you know, uh, that was burned on two CDs. 
I actually have a video CD card in my Saturn, so I can pop my Ninja Turtles VCDs into my Saturn and watch them. Well, you could probably still watch them on your PC if you really wanted to now. I actually have a Blu-ray. Have you uh, tried to burn a VCD in 2021? It is not easy to do. Like, no software that burns them wants to run properly. Uh, I actually have a Blu-ray drive on my PC. One of the very few one, probably very few people who have one. You know, it never really caught on a Blu-ray drive on your PC. Never understood why. Um, but I think that what we'll do is we'll get into another question here. So, uh, All yeah, right. all right. I'm good yeah. when you are. Yep, let's get the next question is, do you agree that when people say Android needs more tinkering from the user when it comes to retro gaming? Yes and no. It um if the developer is intentionally building Android for the device with the intent that the users will be retro gaming, they can set that all up ahead of time specifically for the device. If you go and try to port Android or run a vanilla version of Android out of the box, then yes, you have to do a lot more setup on your own. That's a fair point. I mean, I definitely don't like playing retro games on Android because on an Android phone because I'm normally forced to use a touchscreen. Yeah, and... I'm not key. I'm not for the touchscreen either. But a lot yeah. of devices, the handhelds, you can make keyboard if you tell the yeah. kernel to activate the keyboard as the motion device right yeah or you or you can get one of those add-on uh add-on like holders that actually has like physical buttons or that, that you can yeah. use yeah like a bluetooth controller where you just put the phone mm -hmm. in the middle yeah or some of them are you done with USB-C. I think the razor kishi oh speaking of that while we're talking about this 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 device only works with a couple of phones and i don't know why they did it like that but there's actually a a game boy Oh, yeah. Of Android phones where you just slide the phone in there and then put a cartridge in the back and you can play Game Boy on your phone. I think it, that was actually for the iOS devices, if I recall. No, it's, there's one for the Samsung. I think it was S8 or S9. Yeah, which is wild because why? Right? Like, why wouldn't you just make it work on every device? <laughs> but, uh, well, that's because it's I think it was a yeah. case as well. Yeah, it holds the phone and you put the game in there, use the buttons. Yeah, it's specially fitted to the phone, I guess. It's honestly kind of fun. You know, it's a cool idea, but, like, it just seems impractical to if me. If I had a phone that would use it, I'd probably buy it if it was used and cheap just to check it out. Just just to sate your curiosity. Yeah, exactly. I'm actually curious if it has the hardware built in and it just kind of uses the phone just to display it or if it actually just turns it, you know, has the phone, has the phone you know, do the heavy lifting. I would have to assume it would have some kind of capability to run the game because it doesn't make you install an emulator. Yeah, but I mean, you know... Either that or the app for the thing would have an emulator yeah. built into it that's designed to work with that particular device. I mean, look, look at the uh, look at the mat, look at the power um, power at you know for the Genesis. I'll use that as an example. Was it the Master System add-on? 
Wasn't that oh, the yeah. wasn't that like just basically a connector? It yeah. wasn't you know, there wasn't really actual any special hardware on it. Like well, yeah, it, because you could you could technically speaking you could take a master system game, take it out of its casing and make it plug into a Genesis and it would Yeah. Yeah, because the actual hardware was on the Genesis itself. So yeah, it's the same basic hardware but upgraded. Yeah, so really it was just connector. And did, wasn't there a master system like converter for the Game Gear? Yep. Yeah, because essentially the Game Gear was a handheld master system. The Game Gear has some really interesting accessories, actually, like TV tuners. Yeah, I remember the TV tuner? I wanted that one. Yeah. I was actually really impressed with Sega and how much they did in terms of innovation. Yeah, back in the day. I mean, the TV tuner was really was a cool idea and, and useful, too. Like, that... That add-on was a great idea at that time because portable TVs were really were still really expensive. Oh yeah. See, I have this sneaking suspicion that when Sony was first starting to build the original PSP, they didn't look at Nintendo. They looked at what Sega was doing, and they went, "Oh, you could watch TV on it. We could add internet to this too. If you can watch TV, you can watch it too." And they just kind of added on to it. Oh yeah, and then they also released their own, v- you know, video disc with the VMUs. Or what? What was yeah. they called? The uh, UMD. UMD, yeah. I think it was like, yeah, a, yeah like. A... The first PSP I thought was actually a very groundbreaking. Oh yeah. System. Well, it's powerful. Motivated. Not only that, but like they released this thing with it called a PlayStation TV, and you could like just plug it into the Ethernet and connect it, right? And you could have it sync with your PS3 also, so you could be anywhere in the world that had internet. And you could connect to your home network through the PlayStation TV, so you could boot things on your PS3 and stream them over the internet to your PSP. That is kind of cool. I never owned a PS3, so I wouldn't, so I wouldn't understand, you know, what was great on it. But well, you could have a game in your PS3, like you can remote play, right? So you could have yeah. a game sitting in your PS3's Blu-ray drive, and you could launch that game over the internet onto your PSP. Yeah, and that's that's kind of what they're almost doing. That's the same idea that they're doing with kind of PS Now. Only you know exactly. Only this game was like streaming. Only this was fifteen plus years ago, or fifteen years ago when it was a brand new technology, and Sony was pioneering. Yeah, I don't agree I, with a lot of Sony's corporate decisions as of the last few years, but I do have a lot of respect for them in terms of how they made their mark in the industry and how they got. Oh yeah. There. Well, they got such. Well, they don't really have to innovate as much because they've already got a death grip. Well, exactly, and you know the fact that they've dethroned Nintendo for the most part made me happy. Yeah, well, you know they shouldn't have. Nintendo should have. Uh, should have taken the fight. They couldn't win. They shouldn't. Well, I mean, to be fair, again, going back to that, um, from what I understand, the uh, Nintendo had to actually look again at the uh, original contract. With Sony and Sony had a lot of power over that. Uh, that yeah, no, I remember seeing that too. That Sony wanted CD. it to be that um, Sony would own the CD part of it because they're the ones who invented and created it. And then Nintendo yeah. would own the cartridge because they created that. Yeah. I don't really see that as being fair because if you want Sony to give you their console, you should be owning the whole crap. Yeah, but they had like Nintendo felt that they had too much power, which you know. They probably would have actually an ability to share. Well, 
you know what though i think it's just because of the way that nintendo has been and i i you know what i'm gonna go say the donkey kong king kong universal uh lawsuit right <laughs> i'm gonna say that really affected yeah. how nintendo works and operates today yeah probably you know where they found that, uh, and that's why like they have such, you know, they guard their IP really well. And actually, I would even say it's because of the Philips CDI, they go also guard their IP really, really well. I mean, because... the funny thing about that is the Philips CDI was Nintendo getting more of their own medicine. Mm-hmm. Well, no one told them to burn Sony and go to Philips. So they yeah. got burned by Philips because Philips makes terrible games. And then the PlayStation 1 came out and outsold the N64. Yeah, well, that's because, again, they actually tried to really put it, you know, they put in a lot of effort into it. And I think the PS1, again, because they put an effort to it because Nintendo pissed them off. Well, exactly. Yeah, it's like that. Nintendo uh, deserved that. Yeah, yeah, they created their own competition. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, we'll also say that Sega was a big competitor, but, you know, Sony was way, it's a way stronger competitor. And then Microsoft, too. I don't take Microsoft seriously as a uh, console. Hmm. I'm not a Microsoft fan. I never was. I well, love Windows. I really hate Windows. Well, they're de they definitely put in their effort into it, though. Yeah, but my problem with Microsoft making video games is they didn't do it out of a desire to make video games or because they actually liked video games. They just saw an opening where they could just make more money and just started funneling money into the Xbox. Well, yeah. they also lose a lot of money just selling the consoles. So, you know, again, that, yeah, that's how, that's how most is, consoles are. I don't think are. their motivation was to make money, though. I think their motivation was just to have themselves be involved in another major industry. I think it has nothing to do with money. We could take a loss year after year on Xbox, and it would barely put a dent in the company. True. Well, I think now though it's so it's so important to them that they couldn't ever think of to get rid of Xbox. Well, yeah, it's too late now. But the first Xbox was almost unnecessary. What it should have been, I think, was probably the Dreamcast too. They should have partnered with Sega and they yeah, did anyways. But yeah, they almost did, you know. But I also look at it this way, though, you know. If we didn't have Xbox, we wouldn't have had Halo. We wouldn't have had a whole lot of really good games. Well, see, like, my more way of thinking would be more that Microsoft should have kept Sega around and partnered with them. Because if they were serious about entering the video game industry, they should have looked at how innovative Sega was and kept Sega working for Microsoft and continued them making consoles and being innovators, but having Microsoft help foot the bill so Sega wasn't going bankrupt. Well... Sega also, again, you know, which we just, which we discussed earlier, shot themselves in the foot and burned a lot of people with the Saturn and the Dreamcast. So, you know, you got your Catch-22 here. Microsoft had more, I don't know, I would say brand name recognition, brand, uh, um, cloud at that time, especially. I think that was like a, technically well, yeah. at the height. I mean, it could have been still called the Microsoft Xbox, but they could have just had Sega's whole team. Well, you wouldn't want Sega of Japan. You'd probably want Sega of America. 
Well, probably. I mean, Microsoft's an American corporation, though, so they would have gone for Sega of US. Yeah, and you know, supposedly though, Sega, Sony actually wanted to partner with Sega. They went to Sega of America first. Yeah, and Sega said no because they already had a Sega CD and didn't have any use for it. Yeah, just imagine if that sense. happened. Why would you do the second one? But that was a bad plan on Sega's part. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, mean, they I were get more... why they said no, but. Yeah, but like, it is funny though they went to Sega of America before they went to Sega of Japan, even though Sony's a Japanese company. I don't think anybody expected the PlayStation to surge in popularity as much as it did until it happened. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? I think I agree because again, that was Sony's first, cho- you know, first entrance into it. They didn't know anything about it. Yeah, exactly. They just kind of dipped their toes in the water and their sales exploded overnight. Well, that's because they put in a lot of effort. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They had really good advertising and marketing. They had a whole lot of games. They had a lot of not distributed games, but first-person games or games that were exclusives to their console. And Sony also has a brand name record. Yeah. Yeah, Crash Bandicoot, which Sony doesn't even own. Yeah. I like Naughty Dog, though. Naughty Dog is a decent company. Yeah. Well, yeah. Now, Sony owns Naughty Dog. They also own Insomniac, so... You have uh, the guys who made <laughs> Crash Bandicoot and some of, um, Spyro the Dragon. Some of Naughty Dog's earlier games were not very good. Like uh, Way of the Fist on 3DO, that was not very good. Well, that's also because almost everything on the 3DO was garbage. Star Control was not very good. You know what was actually... You want to know what, though? Let me say this. Um... Speaking of 3DO, if you want a good story, uh, the person who worked on the 3DO port of Doom, though, uh, the only good thing about that port was the soundtrack, which they had the guy, the CEO of the guys doing the porting, actually did the soundtrack. You know, he got his guys, he got his buddies together and were re-recording the music. So, if you've never heard the soundtrack for the for the 3DO port of Doom, you definitely should. But, um, yeah, the 3DO just wasn't all that great. I mean, I don't mind the 3DO. Oh. Best, for sure. I don't, there's a few games, like, you have to keep I think mind. we're having some audio issues. Oh, I can still hear you. Are you good now? Yeah, I've been here the whole time. Yeah, I... I don't know about you, but I was hearing a whole bunch of uh, static. No, I could hear you the whole time. Yeah. So I think Discord's just weird about these kind yeah. of things. It happens all the time. Yeah. Um, where were we at, though? We were talking about 3DO. Yeah, the Doom port of 3DO. Listen to the soundtrack. It's actually really good. You know, I have a 3DO. An optical drive emulator in it. Well, I don't know why you'd want that. Again, 3DO wasn't all that great of a console, but... I enjoyed the 3DO, and also yeah. I paid 50 bucks for it. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> the uh, person that sold it to me sold it to me because the console was broken and didn't work. I got the console, opened it up, and I said, this isn't broken, it's got a USB drive that replaced the CD-ROM drive, and he's missing the binary file to activate it. <laughs> so I got a free 3D, or basically a $50 3DO with a free optical drive in it. So you could actually play like the actual discs still, or does it only have the USB? 
only USB and play the ISO files. So I have like a there you 30 go. gig drive just full of everything. But yeah. Uh, yeah, but listen to this. Listen to the soundtrack. It's actually really good. Uh, yeah, remix of the Doom soundtrack of the iconic Doom soundtrack. Um, what else was there though? Just trying to think. Oh, wow. It's, it's been a while. It's been, we've been here for a while. Yeah, I think it's been a couple hours. Now. Yeah, it's been at least an hour. Uh, I guess we were joking. Almost here. two. Yeah. Yeah, we weren't <laughs> kidding actually about that then. Um, you want to kind of wrap this up? Yeah, we could do that. Yeah, it's up to you. I still would love to talk to you still. Just about, yeah, even about the old stuff. Minutes if you want. Yeah. Um, you can still talk in a few minutes if you want to. Oh, of course. Well, um, anyone else have any other questions at the moment? Start typing. Oh, and uh, Smacks asks again. Uh, well, actually, he just makes a statement there. He says, Android emulators are pretty easy. Typically, you just download the emulator from the Play Store and copy ROMs over. In some cases, you might need a BIOS. Yeah, so. that's pretty much it. It's not really any different than Linux. I think, though, what Tornado was talking about is that sometimes a lot of, not a lot of, but some Android emulators perform better if you go in and tweak the settings. Oh, yeah. Which is also true of a lot of other emulators, too. But what he's not realizing is when you use, like, say, my, my Linux builds, I've just already gone in and applied the best settings. When you use Android and you install the stuff yourself, you have to do that yourself. Mm-hmm. That's really the only difference. It still has to be done on Linux, too. It's just done by me. Yeah, you already do the hard parts. Well, yeah, I go through and I test each system one by one and figure out what settings work the best. Yeah. There isn't a single emulator or core that's in my image that I haven't already tested personally. Yeah. Like, you know what? Um, ArcOS, actually, one thing that kind of just, you know, like bothered me and I had to figure out what it was, but like the games didn't look right on the 351P. Uh, they oh, just the ratio on the screen. Yeah, it's the ratio. But I, I had to go and turn on filtering, RGB filtering, to go and get to look right, in my opinion, to actually get to look good. Which I think I is think already turned on in 351 ELEC. Yeah. I think that, um, I mean, like, even though ArcOS is based on Retro Arena, you'll see some differences simply because of the fact that I went with Ubuntu 20 instead of 19. And so a lot of the drivers and dependencies change. Like certain things are de they're called, it's called depreciated, which means that they don't really function properly on Ubuntu 20. So for certain things like SDL and stuff, I've had to go in and rebuild them and I've had to go in and find different versions that work. And what ended up happening is that a lot of times things boot faster and they run a little bit quicker with the more modern driver. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I need to try your build on on the Retro Arena for the 351P. Are you still going to be working any further on that, too? Yeah, I'll be releasing updates for it. I kind of figured. It's not going to be a constant thing, though. I'm like, I don't release updates every couple of days like some people do. I just, I wait until I have a fair number of things. Like, I want to add five, six, seven things at once. I don't want to give people an update every three days that has one thing in it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next episode of the SBC Gaming Podcast. This is part two of our Slam Endure interview, and I uh, hope you enjoy. <laughs>